Welcome to the Electra International series, Think Like a Leader. We all enjoy hearing another person's success story, and we hope our conversations with leaders from across the electrical construction industry will help spark your interest and creativity in finding ways you can think like a leader. Welcome to our audience and a big hearty welcome to Todd Mickick. Todd heads Lighthouse Electric, which is headquartered relatively near Pittsburgh, and their company serves the entire state of Pennsylvania. So they do a lot of different kinds of work all over the place, and Todd leads the company. And we really do appreciate you being with us today to share your knowledge and your ideas about where this industry is going and where you see Lighthouse going and how you got there. So thank you, Todd, for joining us. That's good to be here, Carolyn, and uh, happy to participate, actually. So <laughs> Lighthouse describes itself as family owned and one of the region's largest EC companies. As the firm continues to grow and as new leaders join the team, what steps do you have to keep in mind in order to keep Lighthouse at the top of its game and maintain your reputation and your standing in the state of Pennsylvania? So you know, here at Lighthouse, we have a couple taglines that describe what we do and how we do it. First and foremost, what we do, we build, we serve, and we connect. Now, we build buildings, but we also build people. We invest in our people. Physically on projects, we serve things, serve wireheads. But it's really, for us, metaphorically, about serving the one in front of you. And we make connections. We make physical connections with our work. But we connect with people, we connect with our customers, uh, our employees, and we connect with our community. That's important to us. So that's our that's our what we do and our how we do it. We do it safe. We do it right. We do it fast. And when I we always lead with safety. Right is uh, integrity. You know, we always want to do things the right way. And and finally, fast, you know, maybe expeditiously would be a better way to put it, but it didn't fit our tagline so well. So we went with safe, right, fast And our customers are really demanding us to deliver projects quicker, you know, less time. That helps us, you know, it seems pretty simple, but it's it's our principles, it's our core, and um, it's how we operate. And I think that keeps us on top of our game. When I looked at your website, you talk about being innovative and providing solutions. And those items, innovation and solutions, are described as being priorities for all of your work. Your website also notes your willingness to take on technologically challenging projects. So my question would be, as a company leader, does your approach to a project have to change if it's evident that somehow that project is really going to be challenging? So, you know, we tend to gravitate towards challenging projects, you know, short durations, difficult uh, delivery. But our, our approach is fairly consistent. In uh, 2015, we went through, a, we looked at all of our processes, went through the value stream mapping process, and we developed standards for pretty much everything we do. Quantity takeoff and estimating, uh, purchasing workflows, even accounting and record keeping. So the projects that we take, you know, I don't think we really change that so much, but we may seek out a a leader to run that project that maybe has a different style that fits that project better, you know, one over another. Especially during the pandemic years, and obviously we're still going on with 
people still getting sick, not as many, but we still have to deal with it on a daily or weekly basis. Projects were challenging from start to finish. All projects were. How did you meld your responsibility to your workforce and your own projects? How did you meld that with your wider responsibility as a member of NECA's executive team? What a season COVID was, you know, uh, and, and like you said, we may not be completely through it. I will say that being a member of the executive committee takes a fair amount of time. It's been an exciting group to be part of in these recent years. Before I took on that leadership responsibility within NECA that we made sure we had our own house in order. Uh, my nephew is our president, uh, Anton. We have a really strong COO, Ryan Bandell, and we have a really good VP of finance, Anthony Brock. So when the pandemic hit, the four of us would meet every day. We transformed our conference room into a war room. You know, we were shut down for a day, right? And then we were deemed essential. So we got back to work. And, you know, the uncertainty of what tomorrow was going to bring really drove us to work closer together. So while my nephew really headed the communications from the company standpoint, that allowed me to, you know, we were doing weekly calls with the executive committee. And, and you know, we were bringing concerns from the people that we represent to National NECA. This is what we need. And, you know, I have to say NECA stepped, under, stepped up in a very big way. You know, Marco led the charge on Capitol Hill that they were telling us who's essential and helping us figure out if we were essential, essential businesses. Um, they got in front of the mandates, the government mandates, and, and helped with protocols on, on the way, you know, the government wanted us to work through OSHA on our job sites and keep people safe. So we had a good steady flow of information from Capitol Hill because of, you know, Nika's um, presence there. So Josh and his team, they jumped in and did a study on the effects of the pandemic on construction, especially specialty contractors like us. We're doing a healthcare job in the middle of COVID with 100 guys on it. And there was no slow on that job now, right? So we have 100 guys, just that whole uncertainty of the time, you know, where the general contractor might have three people on the job. The impacts of COVID were far less for them. So, you know, Josh put a group together, a panel of contractors, industry partners. And um, in a short period of time, I think three months, I'm not certain of that. We had tangible evidence that we could take to our customers and say, these are the effects that this pandemic is having on our constructability of projects and our manpower and our time. And uh, it was good information. And then and I'll go one step further. Um, and it was really exciting to be a member of the executive committee and see these things coming together. And then, you know, David Long, he was in the face of the IBW every day. And, and, and the IBW was receptive. I mean, how, think about Indira and what that did for us, the ability to furlough a worker and then bring that worker back. That's, completely unprecedented, you know, but when you have a tragedy or something like COVID, people tend to, to rally together to, to do that support. So I think I answered your question there, but I'm not hundred percent certain. Oh no. Oh, you absolutely did. Um, I want to go back a second to the concept of innovation and, and that everything that's challenging about innovation. What are some of the industry trends that you see coming over the next, I don't know, three to five years that you think will have the most impact on the industry in terms of being innovative? 
you know, we have to innovate. We're all faced with labor shortages, right? And 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 the only way we're going to see our way through that is the use of technology and pre-construction planning and, and offsite prefabrication. It's it's going to be the successful contractors are going to embrace that technology, make those changes. And, um, you know, we see it already that the use of technology and pre bringing the manufacturing mindset to construction. You know, it's not show up with a load of conduit. I mean, we're showing up with racks of pipes that are ready to, to put up in the air. When you look at your relationship with the owners of projects, it seems that we're we're hearing more and more that they, the owners, are paying much more attention to sustainable construction. And um, we know from your material that Lighthouse Electric has participated in more than 25 LEED certified projects. So my here's my question about that. Do you need to adjust your leadership strategy or style when the project owner makes the decision that they want this to be LEED certified? Does it change the way you have to think about and lead your team? I think because of the processes that we have in place, it really doesn't change that much. But I can tell you that when we see a LEED certified project, we see that as a, a, an additional opportunity for us because we've done a fair amount of lead certified work. You know, we know what it takes and we can help an owner through that if it's their first time. But, you know, we've done some pretty remarkable lead certified projects. Electric TV did a spot on the greenest skyscraper in America at the time it was built. It was a project here in Pittsburgh. So just the association of, of having done the projects helps us be competitive in that in that market. So it's helping your company to grow? By being uh, involved with lead projects? Yes. I, yes, absolutely. Because more and more owners are requiring it and, and we're set up to meet that demand. So the owners are not seeing it as a trend that, well, we had to put up with it. And now it's going to go away. Leads here to stay. Yeah, I think sustainable construction is here to stay. OK. Do members of the general public understand just how complicated electrical construction is and how much time and effort has to go into it, not just for lead projects, but the amount of training and learning and guiding that your own workforce needs in order to build a safe building, whether or not it's lead certified. Does the public yeah, I, understand that? Yeah, I don't I don't think that the general public does understand that. I mean, I remember a, a time when my daughter asked why there was a green box in our front yard. And I said, well, that's because we have to transform the voltage from, you know, down to so that it's usable. So I don't think that the, the general public really does understand that. Should they? Is it important for them to understand it? Or is it just behind the scenes like they don't really need to know how the sausage is made? Yeah, I would encourage them to call a good qualified NECA contractor. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, you talk a lot about safety and you talk about how important and paramount it is to every kind of project and, and service. And you describe your safety culture in five actions. Believe, educate, think ahead, take responsibility and innovate. Is any one of those five more important than the others or is it a symbiotic relationship that you have to have them all? Now, I think if, if you don't educate, you know, you're not informed and the others okay. don't matter. So I, I put my number one is to educate. 
Yeah, that would be my number one. Do you focus on safety, not just with your in the field workforce, but also in the office? Do you put as much attention on it as making sure that your in-house people stay safe? Yeah, we do. Our, you know, we publish a weekly safety talk that we develop in-house. And oftentimes it's not just job site related. It's um, it's things at home, you know, and again, it's education, but you have to believe it and, and practice it. If you're not practicing it, it it's hard to sell it. It's got to be part of your culture. What's the most difficult thing as a leader to get your workforce to agree to do? Where do you get the most pushback? Where do I get the most pushback? I'm not, I'm not sure. <laughs> Rephrase that question. <laughs> okay. When you think something is good and important and you as a leader do believe in it and you want your workforce not to just believe in it, but to put it into practice, are there certain areas of their work or certain um, mental blocks that they put up where they just don't want to do it that way because they've always done it this way? Yeah, so that's change. And, and okay. many are resistant to change, whether you're starting new technology or new safety practices. We've had to have some really hard conversations with some some of our people that have been with us for a long time on, on why we're not going to we're not even going to ask for a hot work permit. We're just not going to do it hot. So there was some real resistance to that when we made that decision that this this is how we're going to approach safety. Same thing happened when we went through the value stream mapping process. You, you don't call me at three o'clock and ask for four, four lock nuts. You know, the, you have those one-offs, but we really put the focus on, on planning and pre-construction planning. And it, it, there was some resistance to that. And, and quite frankly, we lost some people over it. Now you have been personally involved with Electric International and with the Electric Council for many years. What are some of the you, you mentioned before we talked about the pandemic project that Electri did, but what are some of the programs and projects that you have truly found to be most valuable to you in terms of helping you identify recommendations and find solutions that help you to run your firm? Yeah, so certainly the pandemic would be the most current example, but you know there's right. some really good studies within NECA, within Electri that uh, that deal with time studies and productivity studies. Um, Dr. Hanna has a great one. It's pretty old, but it was uh, schedule acceleration and compression and how that affects what we do. And we've used those studies and gone back to a general contractor and, and, you know, you have a document that you can say, look, this is what stacking a trace does to me. This is what happens when you make me work too much overtime. There's a whole study on that. So we have definitely used and benefited those productivity and time studies, certainly. Are, are some of them outdated and need to be redone? Do are, um, or are those the kinds of things that the recommendation, the findings and recommendations aren't going to change? It's just making sure that your people implement it. Yeah, I think um, some of them have been redone. And, and, you know, the time study ones, they are pretty timeless, though. I mean, it okay. is what it is. What do you and your key Lighthouse Electric colleagues bring to the table, to the electric table, to help ensure the ongoing success of the foundation and its agenda? Why yeah, so are you think, important to electric? I think it's our willingness to participate and just collaborate and be open. I mean, you know, recently we did a, um, a shop tour in DC and it was 
open for everything from their accounting to their prefabrication shop. And, and we did the same thing in, in uh, Salt Lake City at an election. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and we continue to collaborate with those people even after the electric meetings. Right. So I think what we bring is that openness to be vulnerable, to even talk about a, a, a failure and a success, you know, uh, and it's just a great group to be part of for that. We always take something away when we attend so, elections. So it's much more a sense of collegiality rather than a sense of competitors. Yes. Absolutely. Right. Is that I mean, we're not way? really sharing trade secrets. We're sharing best practices. Okay. Um, what do you think are some of the most critical program initiatives that Electric International should be devoting its attention and resources to over the next several years? Are there things that are so outstanding that you say, boy, Electric's really got to put some time, muscle, and money into what? Yeah. So, you know, it's already happening, you know, looking at the use of technology for construction, certainly that's at the top of the list. But, you know, also I think that electric is about research and education, right? One of our biggest things that we see on the horizon is a shortage of manpower. Mm -hmm. And I think electric can really help educate this future workforce on on the opportunities that are available in our industry. I mean, we can't rely on the IBW to provide us all the people we're going to need to do the work that's out there for us to do. Do you think that in terms of the educators out there, do you think that the university and college faculty understand electrical construction and if they don't, can they be convinced by partnering with Electri to do more in their curricula to make sure that their construction management students or their engineering students at least know about the opportunities that are available to them in electrical construction that you just don't have to go work for a GC? Right. Yeah. So I would say that Electri has done a pretty fair job at that, too, with with the uh, the initiatives that are out there for it's not called the green energy challenge anymore, but you know those things. Um, and, and we've hired people out of that program from they the electric and presented at Electric. Yeah. Okay, from the what ACIC is now ACIC, the current yeah. name, right? So you talk about and you started our conversation today talking about um, building people who build things. Does that philosophy work both in-house and in the field? Is that an across-the-board approach to your entire workforce? It, it, it is an across-the-board approach. Um, you know, anytime we have a job opening, we have an open posting in-house before we go mm-hmm. externally with that. Okay. And we've recently implemented that for the foreman and superintendent level in our projects. And it's interesting the people that apply, like maybe they just didn't know that they had an opportunity to go take on a project. And and the one thing that's important with that is when you don't choose somebody, you need to tell them why you didn't choose them. And then maybe they post or they, they are attracted to the next post that maybe it's a smaller project and it's a, mm-hmm. or, or they can take the information we gave them and um, be prepared to take on the next opportunity that comes along. What do your employees expect to see from you in terms of leadership, what are they what are they looking for in a leader? Well, there's a couple of things, but certainly confidence, confidence in knowing that you can do the job. And that's not arrogance. That's confidence. Secondly, you know, my leadership style is people want to be heard. 
So you have to be a good listener. And then once you listen and you hear, you need to be ready to, to implement and act on what you hear. So those are my top two. The third would be just be passionate about your work. I mean, I'm a pretty passionate person. I like to win. I like what we do. And people do that you, know, me know that I'm passionate about things. Do you think that your leadership style and focus is different when you are dealing with new employees rather than someone who's been around for quite some time. What's important to get new employees to take to heart and so that they really understand Lighthouse Electric? If you could only give them one message as a leader, what would that message be? For new people, it yeah. would be, you know, show up and participate, be present, you know, okay. um, it's, it's one thing to just show up, but to show up and have some initiative, that's when you get noticed. As your career grew and expanded, and as your role in Lighthouse Electric grew and expanded, you think back about your own leadership path. Is there any particular really good piece of advice that you received that you think our audience might like to know about so they could kind of noodle it and see what it might mean for them? Yeah, I don't know how unique this will be, but, you know, my dad always told me, surround yourself with good people, help them achieve what they want to achieve, and you'll achieve what you want. Now, some years later, I was reading a Zig Ziglar book, and he said a very similar thing. So I'm not sure if my dad got it from Zig Ziglar or Zig Ziglar got it from my dad. But um, One or the other. One or the other. Yeah. I think another thing for me is, you know, make work your hobby. So that doesn't mean it's your only hobby, but um, I like what I do. And if you like what you do, you can you can do it well most of the time. So it's not a drudge. It's not something that you say, oh, Lord, I have to go to work again. Maybe right. you do once in a while, but it's something that you're passionate about because you really do like it. Is that fair to say? Yeah, that doesn't mean you won't have that day where you just don't want to go to work. But <laughs> yeah, that's that's pretty accurate. Yeah. Is there anything I haven't asked you about that you want to share with our audience? Some are watching, some are listening as they're driving. Is there anything else about being a leader that you find really important? I think I'm going to step out of the lighthouse role and talk about the what's, what's available in NECA. And um, I, I kind of brought this up when I did my closing remarks uh, at convention when we were in front of the Board of Governors. This is my final year as a VP. And um, NECA has so much to offer, but we need to invert that funnel where that information comes in and it gets to one person. And then sometimes it doesn't go anywhere. So here in our own organization, we're trying to invert that funnel, get the information in and get it out to everybody because there's a lot. I mean, between electric and government affairs and, and NECA education programs, the single biggest effect that for me was attending future leaders as a young project manager. The program still exists today, and I would encourage leaders and companies to send somebody to that program. It's a great way to find out what NECA does at a national level that's beyond maybe what a chapter might do. So you think that not enough contractors, even those who are NECA members, understand the variety of resources that are going to be available to them to help them to grow into leadership? Yeah, so maybe the, the first point of contact might understand that, but, you know, NECA can be for more than just that one person at the right. head of the organization. 
Right. Well, Todd, we really do appreciate your time, your your candor, your information. I really I like the ideas that you put forth about how you approach it and the fact that, you know, no matter what you're doing with it, if it doesn't start with education, you're really not going to be able to accomplish it. And that's right. true, whether it's safety or a project or prefab or whatever it is, you have to be sufficiently educated enough in order to make it happen. So thank you again for your time. And thank you to our audience for tuning in, whether you're watching this interview or whether you're listening to it as you drive to and from a project. We hope you'll take time to listen to all of the Think Like a Leader interviews. There are about 50 of them. So that gives you, if you did one a week, that gives you all of 2023 to look forward to. Thank you again. And thank you, Todd Nickett, for your time today. Bye-bye for now. Thanks, Carolyn. Thank you for joining us for today's Think Like a Leader conversation. You can access every interview in this series on our website, electri.org, or you can subscribe on your favorite podcast app. This is a remarkable look inside the electrical construction industry, and it's yours for the listening.